Hey, beautiful people. Welcome to the BU Podcast. I'm your host, Ariel Von Bretter. Hey, you guys. So if you know me, if you follow me, if you've been listening to the podcast, you probably know that mental health is very important to me. Um, I personally deal with anxiety and depression, and I just think it is so important for people to discuss mental health and be open about it and understanding about it. And I'm so excited and honored that I got to have a conversation about mental health and that I get to share it with you all this week. Um, so I got to speak with Dr. Marquita Wills and Dr. Carlin Barnes, and they are both practicing board-certified psychiatrists. They're Harvard-trained. Dr. Marquita Wills is originally from Dayton, Ohio, and she's currently in Tampa, Florida. And Dr. Carlin Barnes is in Houston, Texas, and they are both just so passionate about educating people about mental health and decreasing the stigma around it and just promoting um, mental health and the tools um, so people can have healthy lives, which includes mental health. And they wrote a book called Understanding Mental Illness, A Comprehensive Guide to Mental Health Disorders for Family and Friends. And I got to actually read this book and I just think it is just so well done. I think that like everyone should read this book and have a copy of it so that they can understand mental illness a little bit um, better, whether they have it or not. It's helpful for you to understand um, what someone else might be going through so that you can be there as a support for someone else and so you can see signs in someone else and um, just really understand what someone might be going through. And even if you do have a mental health, like uh, mental illness like I do, I still learned a lot from this book because it kind of just opened my eyes to other mental illnesses and just really seeing like, you know, again, that I'm not alone, which I just always makes me feel better and able to really overcome um, my struggles is knowing that I'm not alone and also understanding that everyone deals with things differently. So I am just so honored to share this conversation that I had with you guys. I hope that you find it useful. I hope that you learned something. Um, I hope that you check out their book and please share it with anybody that um, would find it uh, useful. So enjoy. Before we get into the show, I wanted to take a moment to share how I host my podcast using Anchor. It's free and easy to use. You can record and edit using your phone or computer, and then Anchor distributes your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other platforms. It's super easy to use, and they do the work for you. I highly recommend using Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, on to the show. And so you guys wrote a book together called Understanding Mental Illness, A Comprehensive Guide to Mental Health Disorders for Family and Friends. And first of all, just thank you for writing this book. <laughs> I think it's something that needed to needs to be out there. And I think how you all presented it was just very well. Like you talk about different mental illnesses and you give examples. And I just think it's going to be really helpful. But I would just love to hear from you all of what inspired you to write this book. So if you don't mind, Dr. Wills, I'll jump in and take that question. Um, so Dr. Wills and I met in 2013. We worked for the same company and 
I joined the company. Dr. Wills was already established there and she was instrumental. I got to know her very well because she was very instrumental in helping me to onboard and train and learn the ropes of the, my new position. And we shared a lot of conversations outside of work. And we learned that we were both very, very passionate about um, helping people to live healthier lives when it comes to mental, taking care of their mental health. So one day after a long day at the office, Dr. Wills and I were kind of heading our separate ways. And we, you know, we were kind of brainstorming on how we can reach more people and how we could extend our platform. And Dr. Wills said, let's write a book. And I thought she was actually joking because we're, <laughs> we're both very busy professional women. And I said, where in the world would we get the time? But as it turns out, we here we are, you know, 2020, our book was um, published by actually 2019, September 2019 by Skyhorse Publishing. And so mm -hmm. it's really been our passion project. We pulled together, we joined forces, we used all of our resources, and we're really, really um, excited about the final product. Awesome. Did you have anything to add, Dr. Wills? Well, I just would say that it took us a long time to write the book. Yeah. And, you know, we are physicians. We weren't necessarily, necessarily literary folks. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I think we learned a lot along our journey, um, you know, in terms of meeting with publishers, finding agents, all of that good stuff, marketing, all of that. Um, so it's been quite a wonderful journey, um, and um, I have really enjoyed uh, working collaboratively with Dr. Barnes um, and reaching a wider group of folks. We had the, the privilege prior to COVID of going on a six-city national book tour, um, which was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. um, we partnered with small local uh, uh bookstores, uh, private independent bookstores in various markets um, and hosted wonderful conversations, community conversations, uh, courageous community conversations about mental health and mental wellness. Um, mm -hmm. And in doing so, we were able to achieve some of our goals, which was to have rich dialogue and discussions and be myth busters and stigma busters in the community um, when it comes to mental health. Yeah, and so t um, talk to me a little bit more about like what are some of the stigmas and like misconceptions around mental health? So I think one of the big stigmas around mental illness and mental wealth is first of all, people just don't believe that it exists. People mm -hmm. just act like, you know, it's all a notion of willpower. And, you know, because it didn't happen to me, it couldn't possibly happen to you. And I've been sad before, but I've never had to go get help for being sad before. So therefore, with your depression, you probably just need to just get up and buck it up. So there's even just a, the fact that people don't believe it exists. And that's one of the biggest pieces of information misinformation out there um, that makes it so that there's uh, fear um, around what it means to have a mental illness. Um, I think there's just a lot of misinformation out there. Um, we use uh, words in a very derogatory language. Oh, she's bipolar. Oh, he's schizo. Oh, she's OCD. Um, and all of those words with such negative connotations and overturns 
overtones um, tend to further um, alienate those who have uh, mental illness or mental issues um, and create a barrier to going to get help. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think last but not least, um, you know, it's this notion and this idea um, that, you know, you lack willpower um, and that if you just had willpower or if you just prayed hard enough, um, you could get over it. And I'd, I'd like to say, you know, both myself and Dr. Barnes are, have strong, strong faith. Um, and we find that there is lots of synergy, lots of areas of overlap between spirituality and mental health treatment. Um, and so we do not see those as forces that work against each other, but rather are complementary in the healing process. Great points, Dr. Wills. I'd like to just kind of jump in and add that I think that one that I, a stigma that I commonly come across is that mental illness looks a certain way. And so if someone, you know, looks nice, they are able to groom themselves nicely, you know, they are neat and professional in their attire, that they cannot also be struggling with the mental illness. Or if I'm not a particular gender or a particular age, that I cannot be suffering or living with a mental illness. You know, I see my, my, my specialty is child and adolescent psychiatry and a good number of mental health conditions arise in the pediatric population. And thankfully, I think that the needle is moving towards parents and educators and stakeholders being more in tune to the um, mental well-being of our youth. But a lot of times it's just, oh, you're just being a teenager or, oh, you're just hormonal. But a lot of our children are really suffering. A lot of our youth are really suffering. So mental illness doesn't have a particular face. It affects us all indiscriminately. And um, one of the main myths that we would like to address, and we do address in our book, is it's across all lifespans, all genders, and that um, anyone could be really at risk for um, having a mental health condition. Um, And so that's really important for people to know. Yeah. And um, I would just love for you guys to kind of go into because I don't know, like, whenever I think about mental health and mental illness, like I just think about uh, anxiety and depression, because that's like what I personally deal with. And that's, but especially from reading your book, I realized that it's, it's more than that. So will you guys just to help um, the audience, like understand what mental illness is, just kind of talk about like what it is across the board. I'd be happy to. Dr. Barnes, can I go ahead and take that one? That's perfect. Thank you. So, Ariel, it's not surprising that anxiety and depression are the two that come to mind for you mm-hmm. most quickly, um, because those are, in fact, the two most common um, disorders that we see. Um, approximately 30% of adult Americans will have an anxiety disorder in their lifetime, and somewhere between 10 and 20% of, of adults will have in their lifetime an episode, uh, one or more episodes of a major depressive disorder. Um, and so those are the two most common disorders that we see. Those are generally seen many times um, in the 
um, uh, primary care physician space. Um, about 70% of all anxiety and depression are treated by primary care physicians who may work in conjunction um, with a therapist and may refer someone to a therapist, um, but they might prescribe, the, the PCP would feel comfortable prescribing the medication and having a therapist referral as a, as a, as a support. Um, then you get into, now those are for sort of mild to moderate cases of anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one thing that you have to always realize is that these diseases and these um, conditions fall on a spectrum. So there can be sort of a, a mild version of anxiety, depression, a moderate version of anxiety, depression, and then you can have severe or treatment resistant is what we call it, which does, mm-hmm. is poorly responsive to medication. Um, so um, those are that, that, that's one, one piece of that. Then there are what we would consider to be the, the major mental disorders. Um, and those would include uh, schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder, bipolar disorder, um, and, and many times um, obsessive compulsive disorder, if it's a very severe form, any severe depression or severe anxiety would fall in that major mental illness category. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, we talk about a lot of those conditions in our book um, and try to sort of break it down for people so that um, if they see it in a loved one, in a family, in a, in a friend, in a church member, um, they'll be able to say, oh, okay, that's what that is. Let me not be afraid. Let me not isolate from the person. Let me not um, l- lean back, um, but let me lean in and figure out how I can go about um, marshalling resources and getting help for this particular individual. Yeah. And um, to kind of go off of that, I'm curious of like, if when people notice signs and someone that they know of a mental illness, like, I mean, how can they go about asking them about seeking help without, you know, coming off as offensive or something like that? Great question, Ariel. Um, Because I I think this speaks to what we were speaking about earlier as in um, kind of breaking down the stigma and increasing mm-hmm. awareness. So it's critically important that if you notice that someone that you are in relationship with or you love, a coworker or a friend that you have a good relationship with that you're concerned about their mental health, that you start with a curious mind. Um, mm-hmm. Curiosity is a great tool to use in communication. And so for example, if you notice that your coworker may um, seem more irritable or the mood may be lower than what you usually um, are accustomed to, you might just, you know, in a a safe, non-judgmental way, just approach them and say, hey, I noticed that you have seemed more sad than usual. And I um, wanted to talk to you about that. Is there anything that I can do or, you know, how have you been feeling? So to approach it with a curious mind and Mm -hmm. then to be available, like Dr. Will said, to lean in and not to move away or stand back from the person. If it's a member of your family and you have that conversation, you might even follow it up with, you know, um, there's some resources that, you know, we can 
um, look at together that might um, be helpful in you tackling that whatever's going on you might you know want to go to or you could just ask how can I help how can I help you know I noticed this um, are you okay how can I help? And that might be something like, you know, going to the doctor with the person, if you're really close to them, as in the case of a family member, or you might, you know, be available to help with some household chores or to bring some meals, but just to be curious and to be non-judgmental, and then to say, how can I help you? Because oftentimes, as Dr. Wills mentioned earlier, people will say, oh, well, you're sad, just get over it. Or when I was sad, I did this. But what works for you um, probably won't work for the, the person that you're concerned about, or they may have already tried it. So to just ask, how can I be of help? Because oftentimes people just want someone to listen mm -hmm. and to know that someone is concerned and available. One thing that I wanted to also add to the question you asked about how, like what is mental illness and how do you even talk about it? A lot of times when I'm talking with my patients and this may be the first time that they've sat before a psychiatrist and not really um, um, familiar kind of with that space, you know, I'll kind of have the conversation. I'm a physician um, that's trained in working with um, conditions that are often brain-based, um, you know, and I'll even break it down to them just like, you know, your heart is an organ, your liver is an organ, your brain is an organ, and not all the time, but sometimes there are different chemical imbalances or things that affect the brain, and it will show up as um, differences in how you think, how you mm -hmm. feel, and how you behave. And so what's manifested is different in those realms, thinking, feeling, and behaving, but it oftentimes goes back to how your brain is healthy or not as healthy. Yeah. And kind of going off of that, I was curious of, um, because Dr. Wills mentioned about um, like with mental illness that, you know, working with your primary care physician and like a therapist can be helpful when do you know if you need a psychiatrist versus just your regular PCP? Great question. Um, you, you know, it really depends on the primary care physician and their recommendation, um, their clinical judgment of, you know what, this um, is continuing to persist despite, you know, good attempts. Um, I probably need to refer you to a specialist. This is outside of my scope. Um, if someone is not getting better um, after a trial of therapy and or in conjunction with meds, with or without meds, um, then that might be a time if things continue and persist and escalate, um, that might be a time that someone might need a referral to a specialist. Um, so it's really a clinical judgment and a decision, um, hopefully between the, the individual and their doctor um, to help them figure out whether or not they need it to advance their care. Yeah. <clears throat> and like, I've had some experience with um, seeing a psychiatrist and finding one. And from my experience, it hasn't been the easiest thing to find. Um, one is just because the availability, like a psychiatrist might be booked out for like months until I can see them. And so, I mean, even working, you know, with your PCP and your therapist, if you're waiting to see a psychiatrist, like, and like those things aren't working, 
like what can someone do in the meantime that might help? Yeah, so definitely going to a primary care physician. Also consider going to a nurse practitioner who specializes in behavioral health services. Um, and then also checking out uh, resources in the community. Um, so organizations like National Alliance for Mental Illness or Mental Health America provide support groups and resources um, for folks who may be struggling with uh, mental issues um, prior to them being able to go see a doctor. Um, but with the expansion and really explosion of the availability of digital technologies, mm -hmm. um, there's a lot more access to mental health professionals. Um, MD Live is one, um, and there are uh, uh, many, many other uh, platforms and outfits that provide um, behavioral health, mental health services um, in, in a uh, virtual environment, and that helps widen the access issue because you are right, and you're speaking of something that's very important. There, there is a a a, a dearth of a, a lack of mental health professionals um, in comparison to the population need, and so oftentimes psychiatrists are swamped. They're booked. Um, supply um, definitely under exceeds demand. Demand over exceeds supply. Um, and so um, oftentimes you'll have to wait to see a psychiatrist or a therapist um, because they're just so booked out. And even especially here during COVID, um, when there has been an increase in symptoms of anxiety and depression, isolation and loneliness, all of those things have led to an increase in symptoms, about a 30% increase in symptoms. Um, and so um, that's made finding mental health professionals treatment even more difficult. Those are great points, Dr. Wills, and great question, Ariel, because one of the struggles in my private practice is um, people calling, and as to Dr. Wills's point, even more so with COVID, is people calling for new patient evaluations, and I can't see them for six weeks, eight weeks. And my office manager, she's so funny. She's like, Dr. B, where are we going to put these patients? And I'm like, well, we, I can't work any harder. We can't, you know, and so, you know, she feels really bad, but some innovative programs are coming about because, um, you know, the realization and the truth is, I think one of my really good friends sent me an article and she said, um, Carlin, you're in 2%, you're in the 2% um, of, uh, of a black psychiatrist, it's only 2%. And a lot of times people will seek, you know, me out because they're looking for African-American psychiatrists or they're looking for a child psychiatrist or they're looking for a female psychiatrist. And, you know, like I said, I can't work any harder, but some innovative programs um, are really being put into place. And so I know that part of the work that I do now, I'm in what's called a patient-centered medical home. So mm -hmm. it's really a, a neat clinic that the primary care doctor leads the team, but you have all specialties within that clinic and um, the patients are um, able to access services and the behavioral health or mental health team includes two psychiatrists, um, three nurse psychiatric nurse practitioners. So that's a way to increase access. Another mm -hmm. model is um, the continuity of care model where psychiatrists actually provide consultation, dedicated supervision time and dedicated 
hours to see in coordination with a primary care doctor, those patients. And so while, you know, we do realize in the profession that the need is there and late waits are often long and access is limited, we're trying to really get people the help that they need in the mental health space. Yeah. And so I'm kind of curious about like, what do you all see as the future of mental health? Yeah. So the future of mental health, I think is one where, um, the stigma is gone, where everyone realizes how important it is, um, where we're talking about mental health openly um, in the same way that we're talking about aches and pains and broken legs, where there's no stigma um, and people are open. I think the future of mental health um, is also one where the science continues to evolve. Um, and we, where we get better treatments, where we understand from a research perspective what's better, what works, what doesn't work. Um, and I also think that um, it's one where it becomes almost a social issue um, because we know that about a third of our homeless population suffer from mental illness. Um, and similarly, about a third of the population in prison suffer from a mental illness. Um, and so there's lots of opportunities for health, mental health care reform in how we think about caring for our homeless brothers and sisters and those who are incarcerated and making sure that they get the right mental health treatment that they deserve. Um, so I think I see those as um, definitely three areas uh, for future expansion. Um, and Dr. Barnes and I hope to be part of that, continue to be part of that conversation and shaping um, some of those changes. Yes, and I, those are great points, Dr. Wills, and I 100% agree. I'll add to that, that I think that um, the future of mental health will also move more towards prevention or earlier detection, because oftentimes now our um, primary care counterparts are doing rating scales to screen for depression and anxiety, even if a patient may be coming in for, you know, headaches or, or, you know, something unrelated to an emotional state. I also work a lot, again, in the child and adolescent space and our teachers, our educators, our um, uh, people who, professionals who work with children in the school are being um, better equipped to not, not screen from a diagnostic perspective, but to really just have mental health training so that mm -hmm. if they see something, they are able to better identify and point the family, the child, the student in the right direction. But also if you even pull back from that and just, I was speaking with a gentleman who's a sixth grade um, teacher and he said that they're spending a lot of their time in working with kids on emotional intelligence and just how are you feeling today? Spending time at the beginning of the day, you know, just with things like good morning. So proper communication skills, verbal and nonverbal to be able to help to build healthier adults. So I think it's moving towards primary prevention and earlier detection. Yeah, and so with that, like I know in your book, a lot of the things that you talked about, it's really helpful when there is early detection. Will you kind of just like expand on that of like what kind of impact, like what long-term impact it has when you detect it earlier? Yes, yes. Earlier treatment changes the trajectory and disease progression of 
the disease. Mm -hmm. So um, to the extent that you jump on it and you jump on it right away, um, studies have shown that individuals have better outcomes rather than if they allow the disease process to advance and progress, it gets worse and worse, then it's harder to get back to baseline. Um, and so early treatment um, is always indicated. It helps particularly for children in um, bending the curve for success so that they don't fall behind um, and they mm -hmm. find strategies and ways to adapt. Um, so, um, and, but it, it's equally important and valid in, in adults as well. So that earlier treatment is always better. Um, to make sure that the disease doesn't advance. That's true. I know um, with me, again, you know, with COVID and the pandemic, and I'm seeing more people who are coming in for clinical depression, and their depression is in the range of moderate, moderately severe, severe. And on visit one, they have FMLA forms that they like for me to fill out because they just can't function at work. And the interesting thing is that, um, you know, you think of, again, back to kind of stigma, clinical depression, or as in the field, we call it major depression, is the number one physical, is number one medical condition for lost productivity and lost wages for companies. And again, when you go back to the office visit and it's the initial evaluation and you don't, you can't function at work and you need me to fill out these forms, you know, oftentimes the person hasn't been feeling like that for just a week or just two weeks. Um, and, and so if you catch it even earlier in that example, in that instance, then um, I notice I'm feeling a little sad. I notice that I'm not as productive as work. I notice that I can't concentrate. I'm not sleeping as well. It's time for me to go and see my primary care provider or think about making an appointment for with a therapist. And so even in that instance, earlier detection will improve your outcome. And now like, I'm kind of curious on what you what your perspective is on COVID and mental health. I mean, obviously I think that, you know, as you said, like more people are, have been, you know, seeking help and I'm just kind of like, what are some positives and negatives do you think that COVID has had on mental health? I can try, start that Dr. Barnes, if you don't mind. That's perfect. Okay. So on the, so we have all been under a tremendous amount of stress and uncertainty mm -hmm. um, from March of last year until now. And there have been, it's been an ordeal for everybody, for everybody. It could have been a financial ordeal, loss of family members, uh, change in lifestyle, working from home, parenting while you're working, um, being in the house all day with your family members, so many aspects of life just change rapidly, quickly, and intensely, and, and constant bombardment of news, not to mention all the things that were going on last year with racial injustice, not to mention all the things that were going on with a very polarized election. Everybody's whole cortisol system, their fight or flight response was jacked through the roof. Mm -hmm. um, cortisol is our stress hormone. And when that goes up, 
there are necessarily going to be impacts, including behavioral changes and emotional changes. And so that constant stress um, actually expressed depression and anxiety in more people as a result. Um, So that is what, you know, I am, that we're, that we're all kind of, you know, struggling with is, you know, the tremendous amount of stress and change um, that it put a lot of people, their communities were dying. I knew one person who had had, um, you know, 17 members of their family pass away. Um, uh, so, you know, because it was concentrated in certain communities. So, you know, there were just so many reasons why people were under an inordinate amount of duress and distress and symptoms will arise. That is one of the risk factors for depression and anxiety is, uh, tremendous amount of stress. Mm -hmm. So, 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 so that's one thing. Um, and on the other hand, on the flip side, I think one of the positives about COVID as it relates to mental health is it, be- and we realized this too, as we were marketing our book, um, you know, it was hard to market a book about mental health prior to COVID, mm-hmm. but after COVID, it was just so much more relatable to people. They got it. They got how important mental health was. And so more and more people were able to uh, pull away from that. Um, uh, so, uh, and, and open up to it. And so I do think there's a way in which COVID has allowed everyone better understand mental health for it to not be a secret. Prior to COVID, I had to telemedicine, not have these acts. Um, and I mean, I have to talk to a computer screen, but COVID because of the necessity to physical distance and social distance, telemedicine didn't become such a foreign thing. And and so I think that it is helpful to use these platforms because again, you can increase access and um, treat more or see more people. The other thing on the flip side is that, you know, I think as um, Americans in a society, we have a very short memory. I'm here in Houston and just a month ago, we went through this winter storm that was very traumatic. (laughs) We didn't have power and we didn't have food and communities were dark and we were, people were freezing to death literally in their homes and people didn't have water and their properties were damaged. And you know, the, with the weather, the way that it is in Texas and in Houston, the next week it was sunny and warm and okay, it's life back to normal. Mm-hmm. And, and so we have very short memories for trauma. And you know, I think that we'll see the negative consequences that COVID has had on individuals, on families, on our communities for at least one to three years to come. And it's gonna be incumbent upon all of us to continue to have these conversations, to continue to use our resources, to continue to check in on our loved ones, because even though life is going to hopefully one day in the near future be back to quote unquote normal, Mm -hmm. we'll still be um, seeing the ramifications of what we've all just gone through. Yeah, definitely. And as we wrap up, what message do you want to leave with people today? I'll jump in with that one first. 
I think that the most important message that I'd like to leave with people is that mental illness and mental health is something that we should all be checking in on ourselves mm -hmm. and our loved ones. And if we notice that things don't seem quite right, to don't be ashamed, don't be um, in denial, to get the help because there's some very effective um, treatments out there to live, help you to live a healthier life. Yeah, I'm not sure I have much more to add beyond that one, other than to say, you know, we all deserve to be healthy and mental health is health. Um, and so think of it in that way. Our bodies are temples. We only have this one temple um, that we're granted on this life here on the earth and we need to take care of our mind, our body and spirit. Um, and um, it's our responsibility to make sure that we do so. Doing so is, is not a bad thing, it's a good thing, um, and will help to uh, allow us to enjoy our experience, the sacred experience on earth. Yeah, thank you guys. And so um, I wanna make sure that people know where to get your book, because I think it is such a great resource for people to have. So where can people find your book? And then also like, where can they connect with you? Our book is available at www.amazon.com and also www.barnesandnoble.com. So both places online are places to find the book. Um, and they can connect with us on social media. We are at www.healthymindmds.com. Um, I'm on Instagram at Dr. Wills, D-O-C-T-O-R-W-I-L-L-S, Dr. Barnes. And I am on Instagram at Dr. D-R Carlin, C-A-R-L-I-N-B, like Barnes. And they can also find us, we blog monthly on psychology today. So every month we put out new content, many, much of our content is relevant to what's going on in the time. Some of it is regarding and referencing back to a topic in our book. And you can also, if you have questions, you can link up with us through an email message through psychology today. Awesome. Well, thank you both so much for speaking with me today and sharing your insights on mental health. And I think this is just like a conversation that will just keep needing to happen among people. So I just really appreciate you guys sharing your experiences and knowledge with me. Absolutely. Thank you for having us. It's yeah. our pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the BU podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with your friends and write me a review. I would love to hear from you. And you can find me on Instagram at beautifulchick or on my website, beautifulchick.com. Remember, be you, be beautiful. <laughs>